and welcome to a very spooky episode of Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. We are in October, the month of ghouls and goblins and twin sisters who learn the true meaning of love and family and home finance through the power of magic. Of course it has to be twins because twins are inherently creepy. Yes, we are talking about a very particular set of twins, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, in their 1993 made-for-TV Halloween adventure, Double, Double, Toil and Trouble. I never knew that this was a made-for-TV movie. I had always assumed it was straight-to-video. Well, yeah, I've always known it to be on VHS, and it was only recently in my research for this movie that I realized it was, in fact, originally on TV. But I feel like even people who aren't familiar with this movie at least know this VHS cover. It's a photograph taken of the twins when they were a couple years older, because the, it came out on video a couple years after the movie had been done. They were six years old when it was made. They seem to be eight years old in the uh, cover, where they're dressed like witches, sitting on a giant pumpkin. And it's worth noting that they do not dress like witches in this particular film. Even though they are witches. They have magical abilities. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely witches. They're from a, a, a lineage of witches. We should also mention who else is in this movie. The most notable being that their dad is Will from Will and Grace. Well, Meshach Taylor plays the cantankerous hobo, Mr. N. That's right, that's Uh, right. And we we do have uh, Cloris Leachman. Yes, and uh, Phil Fondacaro, who's sort of a cult movie actor. You'd recognize him from Sabrina the Teenage Witch Mm -hmm, and Willow. mm -hmm. He's uh, one of the most famous little people alive. So I totally take that back. There are actually quite a few notable actors. Yeah, in this Cloris movie. Leachman is probably the most famous person in this movie, That's a at huge least at the get. time. Yeah, they have not one but two Cloris Leachman in this film, as she plays another set of twins, Aunt Agatha and Aunt Fiona. And we'll we'll talk about how that plays into it later. But maybe we should talk about why you selected this particular film. Hold on, correction. Aunt Agatha and Aunt Sophia. What did you call her? Aunt Fiona. I just have this voice in my head repeating after seeing this movie, Aunt Sophia! Aunt Sophia! (laughs) I feel like that's half of the dialogue in this movie. That is going to haunt you forever. Well, I picked this movie because, I mean, I mentioned a little bit in the last episode, but I was born in October. I was always just naturally attracted to kind of creepy things. I Mm -hmm. had all the Goosebumps books growing up. I had the uh, scary stories to tell in the Dark by Alvin Schwartz. I was very much drawn to things like Nightmare Before Christmas, and this just kind of fits right into that wheelhouse. It's horror for kids, but they don't pull any punches on the horror, which I feel like is sort of lacking in in this generation. You can't see it now, listeners, but I'm waving my fist at the kids of today. No, you you don't really watch a lot of kids' movies now, so maybe they do have some spooky, scary stuff. When I when I lived with my old roommates, we would always watch like Halloween Town on the Disney Channel. That was the oh, only time that that yeah. channel would be put on all year, and you would see little bits of newer stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like I don't know, it's different. It's not classic kids' scary stuff. Like they're really pulling mm-hmm. their punches, and it's more about like fantasy and magic now and zombies that are like nice you know they're like bro zombies wait i'm kind of curious so you think that halloween town pulls punches no but that was from our generation okay because that's what i was gonna say i felt like that was one that really was also pretty spooky and a classic yeah no no i I think that halloween town is i mean i didn't see that until much later because i didn't have cable growing up but i feel like halloween town is very much a part of the same thing that you know, kids like to be scared, and I feel mm-hmm. like as much as people like to talk about the war on Christmas <laughs> on the right, I think that there's a much more real war on Halloween, where kids are not being exposed to enough spooky, scary things. I mean, they I'll, have... I'll step off my haunted soapbox now. No, but you you kind of raise an interesting thing because I'm trying to think of like contemporary horror monsters, werewolves, vampires, witches, that sort of thing, and it's been really romanticized. Saw a lot of young adult yeah. young adult paranormal romance and stuff. It's, it's not like good. Vampire diaries. I mean, if you want to listen to people complain about Twilight <laughs> and everything, you can find another podcast for that. But suffice yeah. to say that I'm not happy about what 
what's happened to horror for young adult and children. And I think that's really what drew me to, to revisiting this. This is something that I haven't seen in a very long time. I didn't really grow up with a lot of Olsen twins things, despite mm-hmm. having an older sister who is kind of like right in their crosshairs for this sort of thing. Oh yeah, but, I was um, totally taken in by it. I mean, if anything, my sister was more into the Olsen twins when she was in high school and it was like more ironic. But growing up, we really just... We would watch this and occasionally, I think that we saw It Takes Two in theaters because okay. every kid did that summer. <laughs> but this was the one that really stuck with me. And I thought as Halloween is upon us, it'd be really fun to revisit. And okay. I, I think that it was a good choice. I don't know. We can talk about it. I mean, this is a movie that I also had, what would you call it? Sister film, the uh, To Grandmother's House We Go which I have not seen, but I after seeing this, I'd be interested to see that. But I would watch those any time of the year. <laughs> they, they weren't <laughs> seasonal for me. I just liked the Olsen twins. It was in it was in the twin cult. Let's just cut into the Olsen twins a little bit here. Okay. So they were cast in Full House in 1987 when they were six months old. Yeah. So these these children have known nothing but show business their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And seeing it through that prism, it's kind of crazy that they did Full House, and then this thing called Dual Star was founded, which mm-hmm. is all about putting them in more and more movies. Lots of straight-to-video stuff. To Grandmother's House We Go was 92, I think. That was definitely their first one. That's yeah. the OG in the uh, Olsen Twins canon. <laughs> and this came out right after. And I think it's fair to say that this is regarded as, like, the gold finger of uh, <laughs> Olsen Twin movies or the From Russia With Love. You know, it's uh, it's the... <laughs> <laughs> it's the of of their of their canon. Yeah, I uh, mean, like this is the, pretty much the gold standard, right? It doesn't get any better than this, right? No, I think it does. <laughs> I think it does. I think they got a little bit better. As you think time so? Went on. This is pretty. I mean, I'm not talking about them per se. I'm just talking about the whole production in general, like the production value, the level of actors that were put around them. I mean, it to takes say, two. They had Kirstie Alley and. Uh, What's his name? Steve Gutenberg. Yes, yeah, Steve that Gutenberg. That does not top two witch Cloris Leachman in my book. <laughs> but teach their own. I don't know. I, I having not seen any other Olsen twins movies, <laughs> I'm telling you that this is the Citizen Kane <laughs> of them all. But all right. you you you're more educated in that department. How many Olsen twins movies have you seen? Oh God, I didn't watch any of the straight to video mystery ones. Adventures Ma- of Mary Kate and Ashley. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I saw the ads for them incessantly because they're in, they they precede every single movie of theirs. It seems like, but I think I was a dedicated viewer of their films until w- I think Winning London was the last one I liked, which came out in the early two thousands. Okay. We were in high school, and they were talking about boys. Yeah, that's how I sort of understood that it became more and more about chasing boys. Oh, Isn't yeah. that your oh, take yeah. on it? Yeah, it started with that movie they made in Paris in the late '90s, and they were—I think they were like 13 or something—and that one was started the trend with all of their movies being exclusively about finding cute boys. Always. International, going international. They went to Australia. They're very well traveled. They're very magical. Occasionally have to use violence, but only when it's called for. The big one that I remember, I think I was in high school. They actually had another theatrical release, which was um, the one with Eugene Levy in New New York Minute. Oh, God. I didn't even watch that one. It looked really bad. As far as I know, since then, they've sort of been, they haven't done any team-ups, really. Mary Kate was in The Wackness, which is a movie that I really liked, kind of playing against type. She also did a TV movie with Neil Patrick Harris after that. Oh, and of yeah. course Elizabeth Olsen has since blown up. Oh uh, yeah, she's she did the smart thing and just kind of held well, back because she wasn't burdened by their twin movie phenomenon. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the thing that I realized on this watch of it and the trailers that came before it. Looking at this as an adult, it's not just, like, these cute twins that are in all these movies together. They didn't have a choice. Like, they... 
were forced into, you know, acting servitude literally from birth. They are six months old when they entered this circus and they did Mm -hmm. not get out of it until... And I don't know, that's why I might find myself weirdly defensive of them in the future, just because they never had a choice. Uh, And that's what I've come to realize through this episode. One of the things we did was we watched interviews of them when they were really young there was an interview of them on regis and kelly when they were what were they five years old timed up with the release of the christmas one yeah it would have been like 92 you see them acting in these films and they're kind of cute they're outgoing they're snarky but in that interview and regis and kelly they barely spoke at all they were both so shy painfully shy And it was just like pulling teeth to get them to say anything. And you just felt like I felt bad for them because I was thinking, man, they're having to sit in front of this live audience. They're probably don't really totally understand 100 percent of what's going on or why they're there. They don't have that passion for their work. Like they're just it's something that they're told to do. And I feel like some of that shyness is why they're really stilted in the film. Yeah, I mean, if you think about those same girls that were in that Regis and Kathy Lee interview... or Oh, yeah, I said Regis and Kelly, but Kelly was the replacement of the classic Kathy Lee. (laughs) If you take those same girls and then put them, like you said, onto a movie set and have them... I can't imagine being a director on one of those things. Well, because you've got so many crew people around while these girls are trying to act, and they're probably feeling self-conscious... We've got tons to talk about with Mary-Kate and Double Double Toil and Trouble. This might be a three-hour episode, so hang in no, there. No, no way. There's <laughs> I don't not know. that We're going to get deep into this. It's <laughs> Halloween, the moon is full, and evil twins. Okay, but there were, were some previews on this ad, mm-hmm. and this is a major coup for me in our ongoing trailer <laughs> wars, because last time you had zero, this time I have six. This is what you get when you pick children's movies. <laughs> they have so much more advertising because they want to brainwash children. It's worth knowing that the VHS is from 95, so all these ads are a couple years after this movie. So they'd sort of further develop yeah. their empire. So to clarify really quick, the movie came out in 93. But the Mm -hmm. copy we watched was released in 95. And I think this is probably the copy that most people would have. Uh, It came out in both a clamshell and cardboard release. I have the cheapo cardboard release. I've got the fancy clamshell because that's how I roll. The the first preview... I'll take that out. The first preview was for A Little Princess, directed by Alfonso Cuaron, uh, director of Itumama Tambien, Harry Potter 3, Gravity. Wait, no, he's he was the director of that? Yeah, I mean, I've never seen the movie, but that's just what I know it for. Oh, I yeah. loved the movie as a child. I watched it a lot. It was so good, because everybody wants to be a little princess. All I remember, actually, was it was another one of those movies where it's this lonely girl that wants to be with her father, but she can't be with her father, and then eventually she gets to be with him, and she's happy. Yeah, there's this big sweeping score, and they mention that it's from the brains behind the secret garden, which, as fate would have it, is the second preview on this VHS. Yeah, is this is... one you grew up with? Yes. Actually, they were both novels written by the same author. It was inspiring. Yeah, we had a copy of that at my house, but I kind of thought of it as, like, a boring girl movie. So I never actually really saw it. There's a little boy in there that learns to walk again. Snoozer. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) Disabled children, no thank you. I'll stick to my witch twins. The third film was Black Beauty. You can start to see a trend in these ads, sort of historical horse girl movies. These are are movies for little girls, and I watched all of them. I also had a Black Beauty picture book that came with a cute horse necklace. So, uh, yeah, these were were all the things that I was obsessed with as a child. Now, this is where it gets weird. The fourth ad, a series of videos called Babies at Play. (laughs) This is the moment when I realized, like, wow, we're we're watching a movie that's not just for six-year-olds, but far under that. Um, Babies at Play, this ad comes on and it's immediately jarring. It's like these quick cuts of babies in bounce houses running through fields screaming. It was really weird. Like, why would you want VHS tapes of footage of babies playing outside? Your baby should be outside. Well, didn't you listen to the sales pitch? 
<laughs> it's three enchanting volumes for ages nine months to four years. And studies have shown that babies like watching other babies play. This is like, you know, this is like CNN for them. They want to see their own kind out in the world, making things happen, going toe-to-toe with some bounce houses and some tea parties. There's one really disquieting shot. Just a kid in a sweater sitting at a tea party by himself and just kind of talking (laughs) off camera like, help, I'm all alone. And I don't understand this. There was this uh, narrator that came on during Babies at Play that promised no scary cyborgs, no morphing monsters, and no rampaging robots. And it's just kind of like, why would you think that from this from this footage? Like, nothing about this seems to be horror, unless they thought coming on the front of Double Double Toil and Trouble, like, maybe they should give, like, sort of a horror bent to it. Maybe, or they're just kind of saying, don't worry, we won't contribute to your child's night terrors. I guess, I mean... Let me, let me just say, if you grew up with the Babies at Play videos, tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your experiences. I'm really glad that I w- was not put through these as a child, that I got to go straight to yeah. the good stuff. Because I think the problem with videos like this is it, it just doesn't seem to be telling a story. You know, it's just no. very, like, pandering. Like, hey, you know, kids can't understand stories yet, so here's just a bunch of babies jumping around and shit. It's like turning on Animal Planet for your dog. Yeah. I just don't really see how it's helpful at all. (laughs) Like, if it's supposed to help your kids with socializing, actually have them socialize. Like, put them with other children. Yeah, well, you're preaching to the choir here. And then we uh, get into the serious Mary-Kate and Ashley sales pitch. If you bought Double Double Toil and Trouble, they'll be damned if that's going to be your only purchase from Dual Star Entertainment. They want to make sure you know about every single other thing these girls have made. And considering that these girls were, what, seven or eight when this video came out, they were prolific. Let's kick things off with the adventures of Mary-Kate and Ashley, their detective series. Mm -hmm. Of which there were how many? Well, at this point in time, they specifically mentioned four or five. Uh, Were they feature length? Or were they like half hour? They were probably like 40 minutes or something. I actually don't know this, but I would guess that it's not feature length. So their tagline is, we'll solve any crime by dinner time. That's Will, (laughs) W-I-L-L. Which I don't... Why is it Will Solve instead of Wheel? As in We Will. Because it's it's just a strong will. I think that this went through their marketing department. And all I've got to say is thank God these girls are on our side. Because it seems like they're just cracking cases left and right. (laughs) Finding dead bodies. (laughs) Yeah, finding dead bodies. That wasn't on the preview, but we did look into some of this. So the ones that they advertised were the case of Thorn Mansion. Mm -hmm. The case of Logical Eye Ranch. The case of the Mystery Cruise. The case of the Sea World Adventure, which is very disquieting now. Yeah, that's not going to go over well anymore. Wikipedia provides a handy summary for the case of the Sea World Adventure, and it reads: The girls' parents work at Sea World as overworked dolphin trainers. One day, the girls run into a dead body in the woods that eventually leads them and their parents to a cruise ship while trying to solve the rigged mystery. And just kind of like, what the hell? <laughs> like, these kids find a dead body? Oh, God. Oh, they also were advertising the case of the Christmas caper, which, if you recall, Lindsay, was about hackers breaking into Santa's computer to steal the spirit of Christmas. So in this reality, Santa is real also. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have witches and things in this is it a shared universe, do you think? I mean, they're playing different characters in all of these. I mean, they they do little callbacks to some of their other movies. Like, I think the names that they have in this film inspired the names that they have in the next film they made, How the West Was Fun. Lynn and Kelly? Yeah, I think so. So, so I haven't seen that one, but that's the Western where they're like, 
cattle rustlers? Yeah. Do they take a break from their cattle rustling to say, hey, that was crazy with all that witchcraft and shit last Halloween? I had that VHS and I watched it a lot. I do not remember anything about it. That's the thing that surprises me about these movies when we review them. I just realized, I don't know if I just didn't pay attention as a child, but I, I watched them so many times you'd think I'd remember something. I had really vivid memories about Double Double Toil and Trouble. I'm going to really quickly get through the rest of these. Wait, we should mention, though, speaking of How the West Was Fun, it was written by the same screenwriter that wrote the screenplay for this movie, German Man, which... Jürgen Wolf is yeah. his name. He did a ton of work in the U.S., from what I could tell from his IMDb page, except not that long after he wrote these two movies. Look, It looks like he moved back to Germany, has been writing a lot of stuff in German now. I mean, once you've peaked with Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, what else do you do? They also sort of go into the back catalog of Mary-Kate and Ashley to tell us about our first video, which looks really bad. It's just them yeah. at like four or five years old singing songs, laying down some sweet beats. Then they have a sleepover party series. Is that the one that had the classic pizza song? You should go on YouTube and look up Mary-Kate and Ashley pizza. Terrifying. Um, I'm honestly not sure. It might have been. And then there was also the Mary-Kate and Ashley fan club that you could write into. And, uh, for a nominal fee, you could, uh, you could enjoy some, uh, computerized, uh, correspondence with these seven-year-old girls. Yeah, I, uh, never actually wrote into them. You weren't an official member of the Mary-Kate and Ashley fan club? No. How did you get the decoder ring to, uh, help figure out the mystery cruise and the SeaWorld adventure? I never watched any of the videos for the mystery series, but I did read one or two of the books. A couple of the things sound familiar. I think I read the book for Thorn Mansion. I remember that there was the Scholastic Book Club, and it would <laughs> always have a Mary-Kate and Ashley mystery book, and there'd be some trinket that would come with yeah. it. Like, you could get, like, a heart necklace. Mm-hmm. You know, or like a vial of Mary Kate's blood yeah. that you could wear. <laughs> no, that, that's not true. <laughs> just, just when I think of Scholastic Book Club, I always think of the posters that I got when I was a kid. I think in the first grade, I asked my mom if I could order these two cat posters. <laughs> and one of them I kept up in my room year round, but it was a cat. It was a big fluffy white cat sitting in a Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I remember just like ignoring that it existed after a while because I lost interest and I think I finally took it down off my wall when I was like 11. Well, I told you an embarrassing story of mine today that in as late as the seventh grade, I would wear a jack-o'-lantern sweater year-round. And I just think back on these, like, cringeworthy experiences with my wardrobe and just wonder, like, why did nobody say anything to me? Because you're a kid and kids don't know better. I mean, why didn't, like, someone in my family say, hey, you probably shouldn't (laughs) wear that. It's January. Aww. I think it's fine. I think it's cute. <laughs> the sixth and final ad. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and cut you some slack here and say that one long dual star sales pitch was for a single that was a single preview. Yeah, that was a single I, preview. I could let you, was... I'm I'm not gonna be a hardliner and say every single mystery was its own separate thing because <laughs> that would just be mean. There's another player in the mix besides Dual Star, it's Kid Vision, which was I think Warner Brothers kids operation that they had going on that these at least these first two Mary Kate movies were. Because we get an ad for Double Double Toil and Trouble on the VHS. So for about as you're about to watch the movie, they show you a trailer along with To Grandmother's House We Go. I mean, why would they do that? I guess that they wanted to advertise each of the movies, and so they just made one ad instead of making individual ads for Double Double Toil and Trouble and To Grandmother's House We Go. Because I did always think of them in my head as a set. I guess it's sort of like that collect them all sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I would collect like the VHS tapes of the Universal Classic Monsters, like Frankenstein yeah. and Dracula and the Wolfman. And their pitch at the beginning of that is they would just show the video boxes would fly <laughs> at you one after another. And it's just available now for a low, low 1995 or something like that. It was just very, very 90s. And I think that was just kind of a thing. It's like a, oh, you got to have the complete set. <laughs> what, you just have Double Double Toil and Trouble? You got to have the Christmas one too. I think that's uh, really what it is. 
All right, so we're like an hour into this podcast, and I think we're ready to talk about the movie. We're not an hour. Double Double Toil and Trouble concerns twins Kelly and Lynn. Uh, Kelly is Mary-Kate, and Lynn is Ashley. And you can tell that because Kelly wears blue... And Lynn wears red. For part of the movie. For part of, well, for the climax of the movie. For the most important part of the movie. On every previous watch, I didn't know which one was which. I didn't really think that mattered. But we made sure that we knew damn well which (laughs) twin was which this time. And we picked up on a few interesting things along the way. I think that they made some very intentional choices. So basically, this movie is about two sets of twins. You've got Lynn and Kelly, our heroes... And you've got an older set of twins played by Cloris Leachman, Agatha, and Sophia. And seven years ago, evil... They're both witches. (laughs) All four of them are witches. Yeah, as we find out, all four of them are witches, basically. So seven years ago, evil Aunt Agatha banished good Sophia, her sister, behind a mirror. So she's been trapped in this mirror. And it's up to Lynn and Kelly to save their aunt and also save their home from foreclosure because their dad, Will from Will and Grace, has made a lot of shitty business decisions. Aww. And they team up with a lot of colorful characters along the way, sort of Mm -hmm. Wizard of Oz Mm -hmm. style. There's Mr. N, the uh, black hobo that they meet under the bridge, (laughs) who later morphs into a streetwise crow. You've got a magical little person clown named Oscar, played by the great Phil Fondacaro of Tales from the Crypt fame. You've got Mr. Gravedigger, played by Wayne Robson, R.I.P. And he never has another name besides Mr. Gravedigger. But anyway, this band of misfits teams up to try and save Aunt Sophia and save Lynn and Kelly's house. And part of that is getting the moonstone. The moonstone. Which is seems to be the conduit of evil power. Did I mention when this takes place? At Halloween. The spookiest day of the year. We kick things off the way any kids horror film should be kicked off. A children's Halloween party. Which has all of the trappings of an awesome Halloween party. Like everything I always wanted to do at Halloween but really never got to do because we just trick or treat. Bobbing for apples, a pumpkin carving contest, mm-hmm. uh, a magical clown, real magic. <laughs> real I magic. Mean, pin the tail on the donkey, which is perfect because one of the twins just nails it and she high fives her sister. <laughs> There's a boy being gross because this is a movie for girls. Just pushing <laughs> pumpkin guts through the eyes of a pumpkin. But there's one thing missing from this Halloween party that I never noticed as a kid. What? They're not wearing costumes. This is true. I guess it I guess part of it is that it's before everybody goes trick or treating. It's the distraction for the day and then in the evening they trick or treat. But the thing is, like I would always throw little kids Halloween parties not on Halloween. Yeah. And we would always wear costumes. It seems oh, yeah. like a missed opportunity to get some more spookiness in there. My theory why they didn't have them in costumes was partly because they needed the twins to be really easy to recognize right at the beginning of the film. Because later in the film, the twins do a switcheroo with their friends. Just and strangers. They're not friends. They're not even friends? No, it's it's a little Asian girl and a little black boy, and they just come <laughs> up to them and say, hey, we'll give you candy if you switch costumes with us. Yeah, and so they end up switching costumes, and since it's a little Asian girl and a little black boy, they have to have costumes that completely cover them head to toe. I bet the parents in this movie are so awful, they probably didn't need that. <laughs> like, they could have just <laughs> they probably like, still wouldn't have noticed. Yeah, they could have had like Groucho Marx glasses and they yeah. still would not have noticed that these aren't their kids. But yeah, essentially, my theory is they didn't want to have two sets of costumes for the girls. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, but they missed an opportunity. These children are never dressed as witches and it's on the yeah. cover of the movie. You know, like that was the opportunity to have their day costumes at the pointy witch hats. But their family is poor. They're going to lose their house. I know. I'm nitpicking on a classic. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of children of color, uh, there, <laughs> there is a scene in the tent with Oscar the Clown. They have a uh, pumpkin carving contest, and they're going by, they're showing each child with their pumpkin, and there is a Asian girl with a very Asian pumpkin. 
Oh, it doesn't stop there. There's also a nerdy pumpkin with glasses and a fat kid with a fat pumpkin. A very fat pumpkin. Essentially, they're making fun of children. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that's funny about... I mean, Mary-Kate and Ashley have a very sweet pumpkin. I mean, like, they just each carved a pumpkin that looks exactly like the other one. Yeah. It's like, despite them wanting to be different the whole time, they carved the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, this movie is all about how it's not important to be an individual. (laughs) Pretty much. <laughs> of course, the twins win. They both win oh, yeah. this wand. I think it's just a conduit for their power. And also, it seems like the movie implies that there's just kind of magic all around us. So I think it's more of a conduit, less actually containing the power. In this world, it seems to be that twins are especially magical. Yes. There's magic inherent in being a twin. Only twins can break the spell. And you have to be a lot like each other or you'll become evil. Yeah, yeah. You gotta dress the same. You gotta have matching be... jackets. Gotta watch out because you don't want to end up with an evil one. We meet the parents who are kind of down on their luck. Uh, the father's construction business is taking a turn for the worse. And they're hitting up their rich Aunt Agatha. At... Which they really don't want to do because she's a bitch. She's just awful. Like, she's... They're, they're, they're really ragging on her all the way there. And you're thinking, man, why are you even trying? Yeah, I mean, you know the answer is going to be no. I mean, it's amazing that they even got a meeting with her, let alone for an extended period of time. But this allows our sneaky sneaksters to run off and get in some trouble they meet a gravedigger who explains the whole mythology of this world that uh, Sophia is trapped behind a mirror, the moonstone that was mm-hmm. found. They wear horrible wigs as they reenact the young versions of their aunties. I think it's kind of a cool sequence because <laughs> it's a black and white flashback where they have, yeah, these awful wigs that do are not flattering for these little girls, it has to be said. No. Agatha, the evil one, finds the moonstone and hides it from her sister. Mm-hmm. And we're to believe that's the source of her power into her Cloris Leachman years. But what's interesting about this is that the twin who plays the evil one is Ashley or yeah. Lynn. And this comes into the plot later. It's almost like a hidden sort of subplot for those paying attention to which twin is which because I yeah. never could tell them apart until you pointed it out. And it's interesting because I only noticed that on this watch of the film. Lynn is the one who represents Agatha, the potential for darkness within her. Yeah. And I feel like the subplot of the movie is her being able to resist that. They get separated at one point, and Lynn is, like, being lured to the dark side by Agatha. She also has possession of the Moonstone. Yeah, the mere image, you might say, (laughs) of their aunt's dynamic. And tellingly, at the end, I never realized this, but it's Lynn (laughs) who's the one who pushes her into the mirror, or by yanking Sophia, she's the one who sends, uh... Aunt Agatha into the mirror. So she looks evil in the face. She goes toe-to-toe with evil, and she says no. Oh, yeah. And that is the story of Ashley Olsen in Double Double (laughs) Toil and Trouble. (laughs) This is a surprising amount of depth to her story arc. What's funny about it is that it's so easy to miss, because I certainly didn't know. I mean, I guess on the page you'd be able to look at it as you're reading it and say, oh, Lynn... Of course, because Lynn is, has more in common with Agatha of the two of them. But on, on the screen, that, that doesn't come across quite well. Well, they purposefully made the girls look so similar. They had identical clothing except for the color. So what did you think of the twins' performances in this movie? Stilted. Yeah, you know, I don't know how I blocked this out, but they were horrible in this. I mean, I hate was... to say that about child actors, but... Well, and they paled in comparison to all the adults around them that was the thing yeah because there's some actually some great adult performances in this i i, I really like phil fondacaro as oscar and just and obviously cloris leachman and oh, she was fantastic yeah i mean she's really chewing up the scenery <laughs> as both agatha and sophia at the end get some screen time and it's like the amount of energy she put into making agatha evil <laughs> she puts into have some cinnamon cookies they even sex her up a little bit for this movie oh yeah they do yeah because agatha has a little bit of a thing for one of the dirty guys in the magic club oh yeah the trajectory of most of the movie is the twins need to find where this witch's gathering is going to be because they know aunt agatha is going to be there doing dark magic shit 
And they need to get to the witch's gathering to get the moonstone from her. Yeah. Because they have until midnight. Once midnight hits, they can't ever get Sophia out of the mirror. There's a lot of arbitrary rules on this particular spell. (laughs) After seven years of being behind the mirror, it becomes permanent this night on Halloween at midnight. I guess we should just get right into Mr. N because he's the first person that they meet after they uh, ditch their trick-or-treating. It's so bizarre. So these girls are just like wandering aimlessly thinking, oh, well, we'll find a witch's gathering somewhere. Yeah, what was their plan? I mean, they gave their costumes. They gave their costumes to these kids, and then they're just kind of strolling along a bridge. Then they said that they'd flip a coin to decide where they'd go. Yeah, and they hit him in the head with it. And he looks up, and he's just kind of like, "Hey, what are you doing? This is my house." And he has a very Shakespearean sort of accent, so you kind of get this feeling like maybe he once upon a time wanted to be a stage actor or something. Yeah, you know, and that was a missed opportunity. We find yeah. out that his his entire dream is to be rich. He doesn't. It doesn't he, even matter like what he does. It's just he wants money. He talks in this very fancy accent. It's not quite English. It's it's like he's an actor on a stage and it's like why not make him an aspiring actor like you could still make him greedy because that's what the plot sort of demands well and he's homeless so he's got to be greedy right (laughs) yeah his full (laughs) name is Plato Nofzager really quick we have to note that these girls make fun of him for being homeless oh yeah they they (laughs) throw shade at him right away they say if you had a door we would have knocked first (laughs) Because he doesn't have a door, he lives under a bridge. When they hitch a ride on the pumpkin truck, pining about he wished that he had all this money, one of the twins says, you ever try working for it? (laughs) And see, this is something that Sean and I really disagreed on, because I kind of feel like this is a really inappropriate joke that they inserted for the adults that would be forced to watch this movie with their children. You have a black homeless man who is named Mr. N., like the N word. I'm not troubled by that personally. I I I think yeah, that I don't know. That's probably you say not so bad. It. That's certainly not so bad. But then you have him turned into a crow, Jim Crow. <laughs> the pieces are fitting together here. Exactly. And then um, I'm trying to think. Well, <laughs> once he becomes a crow, his voice changes to like a streetwise, like man, I'm a crow, and that's a little bit troubling. Yeah, he he. But streetwise is the way to put it. I think yeah. it's definitely like. Here's my defense of this. I can't believe that I'm defending this racist children's movie. But I think that, okay, yeah, the Asian pumpkin was a little unsettling. (laughs) But, you know, I chalk that up to just, you know, we were just a little more ignorant at the time. And I think that the Mr. N and Crow thing, I think that that was really just Jurgen Wolf doesn't really understand these things. I think of him as just like this kooky German writer. I'm basing he this had, on nothing except that he has he, a silly name. But He does have a record of writing English productions for like at least a couple decades or a decade or so. And it was clearly fluent, like 100% fluent in English. I feel like he could have been very much aware. I think you're making a scary mountain out of a spooky molehill. But... Why was he a crow and not a raven? Uh, Ravens are way spookier. Edgar Allan Poe. You know, maybe they the script originally called for a raven and they weren't able to get one or it was like $70 more an hour to rent a raven okay. than a crow because it's a bigger animal. Yeah, I think... I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt right. here. I don't know. I'm not going to. I think, <laughs> I think this was like them writing in a joke that has become extremely but inappropriate. It's, it's so on the nose. They're going to name him Mr. N-Word and turn him into a crow. Like, Mr. I don't think yeah. that that's what they're going for. I think that oh, if no. someone had pointed that out to them, they would have been like oh my god you're right and they would have changed it you know i don't think it's that i don't know i don't know i don't think they would have intentionally done something like that there, in are, the a children's lot of movie. Letter- there are a lot of letters in the alphabet he could have been mr z that's mr. true Q. that's true i i mean i don't think that there's any way to figure this out unless jurgen wolf is out there tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com <laughs> And can settle this dispute. There just isn't a lot of information out there about this movie. There's nothing. We scoured the web and there's really nothing. Except like BuzzFeed articles that just show GIFs of Phil Fondacaro floating up with a bunch (laughs) of balloons. You know, like there really isn't much out there. Yeah, We should go back to the fact that we have two children who opt to travel alone into the woods with a homeless black man. 
and, <laughs> <laughs> and they have no they clearly show no signs of stranger danger they're like yeah join us and he's kind of like yeah i'm gonna sell this moonstone and make lots and lots of money and finally be rich but really quick, I do love that he's also not nervous or, like, hesitating at all about going off alone with these girls. Well, we're to believe that once these girls tell him about the Moonstone, he starts thinking, yeah. oh, I can sell that. But it's like, you're listening to children on Halloween. Like, is this, yeah. do you really think this is going to end up somewhere? And, like, it does because it's a magical, magical movie. They're, I mean, you said before, it's like the Wizard of Oz. Like, they go through and they pick up their sidekicks and then they go defeat evil. And with the exception of Oscar the Clown, who already has a heart of gold, it seems like everyone involved needs to gain something, mm -hmm. like in Wizard of Oz. Like you were yeah. pointing out. That the Mr. Gravedigger is absolutely the cowardly lion. Yeah. I, I would say that Mr. N needs a heart. I guess Because that's what he it tries is. to sell those twins down the river for and, some money. But then he learns that friendship is so much more valuable. Now I feel weird calling him Mr. N, but that is the character's name. <laughs> That's his name. That's fine. You could also call him Plato. Plato? Said that was his name. I guess. I or don't you know. could call him by the actor's name. I'm just going to stick with Mr. N. I don't think that there's a problem with it. I'm going to stick to my guns here. Oh, yeah. We were left out a crucial part. They do go to a fortune teller at one point. Yes. He was all. It sort of continues this trend of... The twins doing something magical in a fake magical environment. Like earlier at the pumpkin carving contest, they used the wand to make Oscar spin around. And this time they make the globe, obviously fake crystal ball, actually light up and show the warehouse district where the witch's gathering will be. Yep. They hop on a pumpkin truck after finding out where that warehouse is. They seek out Oscar, who lives in the middle of the woods in a house built just for his size. There's a line that I remember as a kid thinking was really, it was just hilarious, where he comments that, oh, it's just a perspective thing. We're far away, and once we get up closer, it'll get... And I always, I thought that that was so clever as a kid, and yeah. it still kind of is sort of it's fun. cute. And they essentially just kind of have a heart-to-heart -heart with him. He shares the struggle that he has. He's chosen a life as a clown because he wants people to laugh with him, not at him, because of his size. And then they share that they need to save their Auntie Sophia, and he decides that, you know, he's got such a big heart, he goes with them. Well, Andy's also seen that they use real magic. Yeah, and so they go off in his clown car that drives incredibly slowly. <laughs> well, not before dressing them both up like rats. Or mice, I or think mice. they're supposed to be cute mice. I thought that they were supposed to be rats. Which... Why would you dress up two twin girls that undercover the, who are going undercover? They clearly are tiny, and they dress them up the same, making them incredibly conspicuous at the gathering. Logically, it makes no sense, but it's like it's a movie about twins, yeah. and it's like we want to give these suckers their money's worth. Well, Let's give them all the cute twin things that we can think of. And it's another movie where adults are kind of shown as dum dums. Yeah. I think that's to appeal to the children in the yeah. audience. It's like, right, kids? <laughs> yeah, because it's it's so funny. They get to this witch's gathering, which is at a warehouse. They easily get in with just a flick of their toy store wand. They use a little Jedi mind trick on the bouncer. Mm -hmm. They get their whole posse inside. I remember this witch's gathering being much bigger as a child. I did too. I imagine it just being this it. huge, like crazy cult gathering. Yeah. But it's kind of like it's 20 guys pretty hanging small. out. When Cloris Leachman was getting ready for this party, they showed her in some kind of sexy black lace. And she used shoe polish to color her hair black. That was pretty erotic. She was pretty intense about this party. She's using the moonstone to rush through red lights and... We didn't mention that part of why she threw her sister in a mirror was that her sister announced that she was going to leave and get married to George, the currently brainwashed manservant. And so you kind of have this sense that old Aunt Agatha is kind of a bitter old maid that doesn't want anyone to have love if she can't have it. I think she just doesn't want anyone to have happiness. Yeah, pretty much. Because it's just not something she understands. And that's a bit of information we get pretty late in the movie. Yeah. We get that flashback... But this witch's gathering is, is really funny because Mr. N walks in and he says, these people have been reading too much Stephen King. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, have you read Stephen King? Because <laughs> it's not really like this. No. It's a bunch of grown adults hanging out in robes, uh, singing this little song, this little witchy song, and chanting around a big soapy cauldron. 
Yeah. There's Up a, on the balcony, there's a vampire or ghoul barbershop quartet. Yeah. They, it's, it's unclear if they're vampires or ghouls. They definitely have sharp teeth and hiss. Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of funny at this witch's gathering that Aunt Agatha, who's, of course, the guest of honor, she says, I need your help. We know that these twins are at this gathering. I need your help to find them. And it's kind of like, well, you mean those two twins that are sitting in the front row dressed identically as rats or mice, I mean? In clear view. <laughs> and there's this hilarious bit where Oscar has uh, dressed himself up as a tall man by sitting on Mr. N's shoulders. He does this, like, oogity-boogity dance to get the moon stone away from her and then oh man the shit just hits the fan oh yeah and then they run for it so i guess we are doing a lot of summary here but long story short the twins get separated kelly gets kidnapped by aunt agatha all the action gets back to the house mr n of course got turned into a crow the grave digger and oscar are turned into turtles it really looks like things are going a bad way But uh, the twins, they end up in the room. They're trying to use the moonstone. Aunt Agatha hears the uh, clock chime midnight and cackles because she thinks she's won. The twins are saying, it's not working. It's not working. And Aunt Sophia's very sad. And then the twins kind of have this moment where they realize that they don't need to be special or different. Being the same is what makes them (laughs) special. (laughs) So... You know, and then uh, they have a I love you moment, and then bam, magic happens, and Aunt Sophia is out of the mirror. But there's one important thing. This is after midnight, right? How does that work? Miss Ashley Olson set the clock ahead by five minutes, which doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Why did she set the clocks ahead? The cynical answer is like, oh, it's right before a commercial break. We want to make it seem like all hope is lost. Because when did she have the time to do that? I guess she could have run by the clock and pushed the minute hand forward. Isn't the clock usually up high on the wall? Or like on a bookcase. I, I didn't really see. Maybe they had a shot with the grandfather clock and they panned it like to show Possibly. you where it was. But I wasn't really watching for that. But I guess that the thought was, and it did work, was by setting it forward, Aunt Agatha would be less inclined to like catch them. So mm-hmm. it buys them some extra time. Yeah, she was just kind of rubbing her victory in. She stopped trying to attack them. Yeah, but it does feel like a cop-out. I set the clock forward five minutes. (laughs) They totally murder Aunt Agatha. It's super bloody. They chop her head off. No! Oh, is that not what happened? No, she gets shoved into the mirror, and then they shatter it when their dog jumps in with their incompetent parents. Aunt Sophia's totally gonna give them money. Yep. Because that's what this movie was all about. Not being an individual and that sweet, sweet green. Yeah, because if you love someone, you'll give them all your money. Which is kind of the Olsen twins story from the point of view of their real life parents. Like, (laughs) let's let's take away their individuality, put them together so we can make money for Dual Star. One move the, the movie made with their costumes at the end, in the very last scene, the twins are wearing different clothes they are not wearing matching clothes and they have different hairstyles which was kind of an interesting choice for the for the filmmakers well maybe they i mean the whole movie they're arguing about like i'm gonna get a tattoo when i'm older or something like that or i don't want to be a doctor anymore because you want to be a doctor we can't both be doctors so maybe we're just to assume that they found a balance like they like each other but they're also i don't know it does it is odd that all of a sudden they're not wearing matching things when the lesson was always be exactly like your sibling unless they're evil which i just don't understand parents that would dress twins in matching outfits every single day they did they did have different halloween costumes no well they were both gypsies right were they both gypsies one was a gypsy for sure i don't know about the other one yeah they switch with a shredder and zorro (laughs) that was really weird (laughs) what a weird choice You know, one thing that surprised me on this watch is that it's not very autumnal. Like, it feels like it was shot in Canada, and it feels like it's just really warm and summery. It's just very green. It doesn't feel particularly spooky. I think they're trying... I I think the implication is that they're, they're supposed to be in Southern California or something. 
I guess so, but I mean, they never specify where it is, and it doesn't really matter to the plot, as far as I know. No. Couldn't they have just thrown some leaves on the ground and given it yeah. a, little, a little more fall, I would have liked to see. It's true. I can, I, I can see that criticism. I think one of your other criticisms is that you wanted them to have been dressed as witches at some point. Right? <laughs> Which they actually could have been witches for the witches' gathering, too. That would have been great. But I don't know mice. why they were mice. Yeah. I guess to obscure their faces a little bit, they were wearing little fake noses. Yeah. I mean, it, you got to obscure them a little bit, but not too much. You yeah. know, it's in their contract. Oh, yeah. All right, Sean, this was your pick. What do you think? Buy it, rent it, or tape over it? You know, uh, my brain is saying tape over it. <laughs> my heart is saying buy it and buy a copy for everyone you love. Uh, I'm going to split the difference and say rent it. I think that it's a fun movie to not revisit every Halloween. I think, like I said before, I think it's been like 10 or 15 years since I saw this. And I think that that's a good amount of time to take between viewings of it. It was fun. It's more of a nostalgia kick than anything else. I think that there are better uh, kids Halloween movies out there, but... Mm. I'd say if you're a fan of these girls, then it's a must-see because it probably doesn't get any better than this. All what right. about you, Lindsay? I'm going to go with tape over it, which I did not expect. I'd say if you saw this in your youth and you want to relive some of that, definitely go ahead and rent it. If you have the passion, then buy it. But for anyone that's not seen this before, I'm going to say definitely do not rent or buy. It's probably not something that you're going to enjoy. Why do you feel that way, Lindsay? <laughs> uh, there are a lot of reasons. One of them being these girls are so stilted. And, you know, I guess that's something that I have to be careful with, too, because I think a big part of it is nostalgia for me. Oh, absolutely. And I, I absolutely enjoyed rewatching this. Like, I definitely did. But I just cannot recommend it as a film. Oh, no, I feel you. I mean, that's how I am with Man of the House. I think it was a similar thing there where yeah. you had grown up with it, you loved it as a kid, and I didn't have that, that backbone to build on. Yeah. So I say spooky enough to rent. Lindsay says too spooky, better tape over it. <laughs> so we've got another Halloween episode coming up, this time in Lindsay's collection. What are we watching? Hocus Pocus. Needs no elaboration. Nope. <laughs> I feel like everyone's seen it. If you haven't seen it, please do so. It's a very witchy Halloween. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song, Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at SoundCloud.com. <laughs> That's the second week I've done that. <laughs> slash Gargantulon. Uh, please check out our website at tapeheadspodcast.com. If you have any questions, complaints, requests, uh, you can email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, please go on to iTunes and give us a rating, give us a review. It's really helpful, and we would love to see your thoughts. That's it for Tapeheads. I've been Sean. And I've been Lindsay. Until next time. 